Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 79 to Vancouver. Vancouver, oh, that's a great city. Beautiful city. Apparently one of the best finals you can have, as a pilot at least, a lot of pilots say that. I mean, you were not a pilot, but was it a nice landing? Yeah, it was. it's beautiful. You you feel like you're landing in uh, in Narnia or, or somewhere in Lord <laughs> of the Rings. Like, it, like, am I? This doesn't feel like a city. Did we land at the right airport? But yeah, very beautiful place. One of those rare treats of a city where you can you know, ski and then windsurf and play around a golf all in the same day. Do you play golf, Alex? Uh, no. I mean, I've <laughs> played before, but it's not fun to me. No, it's I, not. not my, I, I like fast-paced sports, so I just cannot get my head around it. This probably, I'm not going to be a CEO because there's no way I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so first of all, guys, you will hear a little bit of my voice. I have a little bit of a cold. I might even cough during the show. I will try not to cough in front of the microphone Please forgive me if I do, because I was in Madrid and it was 33 degrees Celsius, and that's why I got a cold for some reason. I don't know. It's always the way. <laughs> I was actually, I was, I cannot say anything about it, but I was working with IATA, the International Association for Our Travel, and that was pretty cool, and I learned a lot of stuff, but sadly, none of this can actually transpire in this show. Alex knows a little bit already, so that's cool. But of course, he doesn't because I have an NDA, so of course, Alex doesn't know anything. Yes, I, uh, I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't know nothing, John. <laughs> Snow. Um, so, John Snow, Snow, you didn't have probably snow in Vancouver at that period of the year, but we'll start with that because you mentioned you were flying for the first time Air Canada to Vancouver in economy, which is also one of the criticisms we got because you always fly in the front of the cabin. So, tell us, I don't think I've flown Air Canada ever, or maybe when I was a kid, but of course I don't remember. So how was that? What was the aircraft, etc.? Yeah, uh, so I ended up being in premium economy oh. uh, in the end through a series of fortunate events and money. But it was <laughs> <laughs> it was it was fine. It was fine. I don't know if I can add any more superlatives to that because it wasn't it didn't blow me away, but it was it was fine. It was fine. The seat was was reasonably comfortable. The IFE was was modern and it didn't have a lot of content. I was surprised, oh. Oh. but it but it had it had enough. It was very you know, and this is not a criticism, just an observation. It was very Canadian centric, especially the TV. And again, why wouldn't it be? Yeah, um, the, fair enough. The, you know, the the movies were uh, were fine. It's a it's one of those day flights that just seems interminable. You know, it just goes on and on oh, and on yeah, and on yeah. and on it's and on. Day oh my god, yeah. But it was a seven eight seven. It was it was comfortable. It was clean. The food was was acceptable, and the the crew were efficient and courteous, if not friendly. But I loved the fact that it went out of T2 at Heathrow because I rarely get a chance to go out of that terminal. Yeah, that's my terminal. It's a great one, right? It really is. And and we were flying out there. I was giving a speech and we were filming an episode of Attaché. That doesn't happen very often. So Greg was with me and we both observed that it is a very, very good terminal. It's got all of the mod cons. It's got restaurants that you'd actually want to go to, shops yep. that you'd want to shop in. 
It's reasonably well laid out. I really don't mind that tunnel connecting. <laughs> Are these separate? They're separate building. I mean, obviously, because they go under the tarmac, don't they? But it's nice to have a stretch of the legs because it feels like on that outer pier, if you will, it's mainly long haul. I've realized because, as you know, guys, I, I fly a lot uh, Star Alliance, so that's Terminal 2 at Heathrow, and it is either long haul or uh, usually the first flights out because I have a feeling that parking a plane for the night costs less there than it costs closer to yeah, the, the, the big one terminal because every time I fly... The, let's say the first Lufthansa or Swiss flight or the last one inbound back to Heathrow, I know I'll be in 2B, which means I have to work these kind of 15 minutes to get. So the idea is, if you've never been to Terminal 2 at Heathrow, it's, of course, it's a newer one. The idea is that it will be at some point laid out similarly as Terminal 5 at Heathrow, which is one main Terminal 5 and then B and C. And there will be, and B and C, they will rename actually all the things, but that's in the future if we ever get a third runway, we ever get there. And there should be also a people mover, like a little train that goes through ah. these piers. But for the moment, indeed, you have to take uh, uh, travelators, one, two, three, four, five travelators, you go down and you go back up. It's okay, actually. I mean, it's Suddenly when, so I had a flight when I was going to, I think, Zurich. I did a lot of European flights this month. I'm not going to cover them all. And the flight was boarding at 5.25 and the airport opens at 5. Of course, as soon as you enter, I'm dashing there to be. But actually, you know what? I was even surprised. I really thought the airport was opening at 5. This is the official time. But I arrived at 4.45 probably because, you know, it was just that early with the, the cab and, well, it was already open. So I'm sure they actually are cognizant of that fact yeah. and they're just opening it up. I don't, I don't think that they ever really close it down properly. Maybe I, that's it because the shops were closed, but the operations were running. Yeah, I, I think that that's what, I mean, whenever I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't sleep, which I did last night, I pull up, you know, flight radar or plane finder and I'm always amazed at how much traffic there is. Not much at Heathrow because the curfew there, but certainly for Gatwick and Luton and Stansted, there's yeah. pl- scheduled flights landing at 2.30 from places like Alicante and the Canary Islands. So I'm always amazed by that. But Actually, I've learned something. I don't know. I don't remember how it was last week. I learned that there is no per se a curfew at Heathrow. It's a gentleman's agreement to say that there won't be more than, I think it's 5,200 flights per year that will land and or take off between 11 and 5 a.m. The airport actually theoretically could run 24-7. Yeah. It's just because we know there's no constraint, et cetera, et cetera. So they have this deal with the CAA to say that, okay, we'll limit the number of uh, turns, which also makes me think, they might not have to ask for permission when they have like a very late flight or something, you know, due to some, I don't know, extraordinary circumstances. They just have this buffer of number of flights they can play with during the year. Uh, yeah, that, that, uh, there seems to be a lot of airports which have these voluntary curfews in place. And yeah. you can see them when you taxi out and on big signs for the pilot saying, we have this voluntary curfew in place between whatever hours. Certainly, I saw them at Burbank. I saw them at Chicago on a recent flight. It, I mean, it, it makes sense so that you yeah, you does. have the flexibility if you need to to do those operations. But yeah, I, I mean, back to Air Canada. I think that they were fine. the The product was was fine. You can tell that they have 
pretty much a monopoly on international flights in and out of Canada. Yeah, the, the, I'm sure, yeah. You know, WestJet have just started doing services outside of Canada, or outside of North America, I should say. Again, comfortable. The plane was very new to the point where it was kind of a pain in the butt to, to recline your seat. It was so stiff. Oh, I wow. had to help like three people do theirs because it was they were the mechanism itself was was so stiff. But yeah, it was it was fine. It did Did you did you do premium it, economy on both legs? Yeah. Was it compared to your other premium economy at I don't know, Cathay you did and I think you've done BA as well. Was it on par at least? I see? think it was yeah, the seat the seat was very comfortable. I, th okay. I think it was not as good as Cathay's because Cathay's is, is yeah, really rather yeah, well, extraordinary. Yeah. It was – I flew on American premium economy, which I'll talk about later. I think Americans was better. BA, it really depends on what plane you're on. Yeah, well, well we know that's a bit of the lottery with BA, it, right? It really is, but it, uh, it was fine. I think so much of it comes down to how much are they investing in the food over economy and what is the IFE like? But IFE is not cabin specific. I mean, yeah, okay, the yep. screen size might yeah, be. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, but you had, uh, if it's a newer aircraft, I mean, of course, it is a Dreamliner. You had a newer livery that's very striking, dark blue, I think, right? We had the dark blue on the way and then the the slightly older, I don't know what you'd call that color, this greenish, tealy, light blue. I don't know what color it is. <laughs> Both of them are very striking. Both of them are very beautiful. And the Air Canada experience at at Heathrow was was fine. In fact, when I upgraded, the person there was incredibly friendly and helpful and diligent. At the check-in or at the gate? It was at the ticketing desk because oh, okay. they, yeah. as you know, at, at T2 at Heathrow, they sort of have this, you go through layers almost of check -in. So they have a, a, if you have never been guys, you have a first layer of automated, so just basically kiosks when you can do it uh, by yourself. Yeah. Then you have a first layer of uh, check-in counters, which are for economy. And then the last bit, which are the end of the check-in hall, are the ones for premium, so usually business and first. And at the very start of the terminal, there's like all the ticketing desk. It's actually very well laid out. I think they've learned all the lessons that what doesn't work at T5, although T5 is basically only one, you know, airline, it's BA. They learned all the lessons and they applied it to T2, which is why I think it works so well. Yeah, that's certainly what it feels like. I was interested in a way, in a kind of self-flagellating way, to try this whole thing without status, which is exactly what I did. I don't have yep. any status. We were flying an economy. But I ended up being in premium economy, which didn't actually change it that much, although they are very generous with their priority boarding for premium economy. You, you are okay. the second to board on Air Canada if you're, if you're premium economy. We tried the one of the paid lounges there. I used my priority pass. Very, very nice lounge. Aspire? Aspire, yeah. Yep. So kind of on the lower level. Yep. Unfortunately, it has no windows, but for a windowless lounge, it was one of the, the least claustrophobic I'd been into. So yeah, I, Air Canada was, was fine. It's really hard to find a better word to describe them than fine because it, it didn't make me feel anything, but it wasn't crap. So I guess... Yeah, which is important nowadays. <laughs> it, yeah, no, no, it wasn't, it wasn't bad at all. So, you know, would I fly them again? Would I pick them over BA to go to, to, go to North America or, or at least Canada? I don't know. Maybe they seemed very, very similar. I've had the opportunity many times to do flights to North America with them, not to Canada itself, but to do like a layover somewhere in Toronto, etc. Because I have star status, but I'm probably going to lose that star status next year, and I'm not trying to fight 
to renew it because I think I'm going to, you know, I live in the UK, you live in the UK, I'm probably going to fight for one world, which means it's the last war now, I've transitioned. <laughs> so the opportunity to fly, when you don't have status, unless really the price is super, super, super competitive, there's no really a reason for me. I don't know. I'll try maybe. I want to go to Vancouver. We'll talk at the end. I've never been to Vancouver. I've never been to Canada, actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, not, never in my oh, life. Oh, it's time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the food was okay? Yeah, the food was fine. They give you a full meal after, well, about an hour after takeoff. They do a they do a drinks run, and it's fine. It's, it's reasonably limited, and then they give you a, a full hot meal, and then about... An hour and a half before landing, they give you this sort of hot wrap, which was either chicken or vegetable. They were fine, again. <laughs> I mean, those, those in economy and premium economy, and I, actually talking to Greg, who was, who was in economy, they had exactly the same thing as we did in terms of oh, that. So there's no difference. There's no difference. Basically, you're paying for the seat a little bit more leg room. Yeah. Probably. I think the first meal may have been a little bit more different, but certainly that second meal was, was not. In some premium economy products. And I think BA is one of these. There's a place where you can go grab a packet of crisps or something. They didn't, not that I could find anyway, had this on Air Canada, but yeah, it, I wouldn't have a problem with flying on them again, but I wouldn't go out of my way to do it either. Okay. Well, anyone guys has flown, I know we have some Canadian listeners that I know, and I'm sure some of you have flown in Air Canada. If you want to challenge what Alex just said, if you fly, if this is the best airline in the world, just let us know. I'd also <laughs> like to know what they're like short haul as well, because obviously they've got Isn't that the Air Canada Air. Rouge or something? There's that's a, this, their uh, low cost carrier, I oh, think. Oh, maybe it is. Okay. That's their WestJet competitor. And they oh, do, okay. they're, they're the sort of Gatwick operator, you know? They, yeah. they, they would fly to, to some of the more leisure routes in North America and beyond. Well, again, one more proof that I need to go to Canada to try all these things. But I've, come on, guys. I've only been, what, to Indonesia. I've been to Australia. I've been, I've been trying so many new countries and new type of airports. Yeah, I've got to do it, everything in one year. I've got, I will have nothing to say next year otherwise for the show. Uh, <laughs> as for me, since we're in Canada, I flew finally the Bombardier CS300. Uh, cool. So the A220-300. I've learned, actually, that was interesting because I was talking at Ayata from Swiss. I said, so will you be renaming the Bombardier into Airbus. And what I've been told is we're just waiting for the paperwork. So actually, the current Bombardier will all be back-named to Airbus at some point. Uh, I didn't ask for a timeline or anything, but so it's it's really happening. At some point, the name Bombardier, the C-series stuff will completely be voided and we won't hear about it anymore. So I flew it. It was nice. There's no much difference. I, I don't think, Alex, you've flown either already. Not yet. No, I'm next week. Yeah, exactly. I think we were time. talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's no much difference. I was once in business because I want to try it and once in economy, both very similar. The seat is, I, I, I like, you'll see what I really like if you're not in front row, so row one or in uh, an emergency exit. What I really like, and I've said that the first time I ever flown it, maybe a year, not two years ago, I don't remember now. Uh, guys, just listen to past episodes. What I really like as a tall person especially is that the seats, the back seat has a single spine, if you want, which means that there are no supports on the side, which means for the person behind, or if you are that person, your knees are not bumping into these two supports on the side, which allow for the recline. The recline happens in the middle. So I think it's pretty clever. clever. Yeah, it's a very clever design 
because I'm sure for the same distance between seats as an Airbus or a Boeing, you seem to have slightly more legroom simply because, and again, I'm tall, my knees do not touch the seat in front. So I really appreciate that. The one very interesting thing, I also flew the CS100, but the one very interesting thing here is not the product itself. It's what Swiss has done. They are trialing something on the Geneva route only. So if you fly from London to Geneva, they are trying a new food system, which is closer to what BA does. So instead of having service, they will have a menu that you can choose from. Uh, I had never done it. I hadn't flown to Switzerland for a year and a half. So I knew it's been going on for a little bit. It's a trial. The interesting thing, so it's like, a, you know, the Mark and Spencer's one. It's called Globus. Globus is a delicatessen brand. They also have, they have department stores in Switzerland, kind of high-end probably even slightly higher hand at Mark and Spencer's. Mm -hmm. So the sandwiches are amazing. You have a lot of stuff. What I really found interesting, and I think that BA should do the same, is that when I was in business class, instead of... At BA, if you're in the back, you buy your own sandwich or you buy nothing if you don't want or just a beer or whatever. And if you're in the front, you have traditional service, which I found on short haul pretty not great. Mm. I mean, it's they have like these... Uh, I love the fact that they try to do like the afternoon tea. So you have like a little sandwiches and maybe a muffin. But I'd, I've never found the quality of those being very high, to be honest. Or the panini when you do late nights, etc. So there, what they do, and I think also for catering, it's much easier. The guy, I was expecting, you know, because again, I didn't know, he takes the, the leaflet from the from the seat. He says, you can choose whatever you want from the sandwich menu. How many you want, it's going to be free. Huh. And I found that pretty interesting because I could, so for them, they don't have to have like separate types of, uh, you know, catering for the back and the front. The only difference is that they don't make me pay. Whereas, of course, if you're in the economy where I was on the other flight, I had to pay for that sandwich or crisps or whatever. Right. So I found that actually, you know, because the sandwich is very good and it's a flight for an hour and 10 minutes, I, for me, it's perfect. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. I th the M&S stuff on, on BA... It's can, pretty good, actually. It, it, it can be really good, but I yeah. I found because they I think they do it seasonally. The 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 offerings uh, change so so four times a year, and okay. over the summer it was it was really lacking. There wasn't anything that looked appealing at all. But oh. I, I've I've done it almost a year ago, and there were some great salads and great sandwiches and all of that. So I think as a as a business class passenger on BA. If the menu was a little bit more comprehensive or the, or the product offerings a little bit more comprehensive, I would be happy to do that because, yeah. you know, then otherwise you're getting just another, you know, hot meal that probably isn't going to be very good. Whereas, you know, you know, people go out of their way across the UK and around the world, frankly, to get an M&S sandwich or salad. Yep, it's true. Yeah. The UK is the inventor of the modern sandwich in a way. I mean, yeah. there was an article in The Guardian yeah, maybe a year ago about how, you know, you have now people from Saudi Arabia, from China, they come to the UK to learn how to do proper sandwiches that can last, that don't drip, etc. It's crazy, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. Uh, yeah, so the one other little trick that I didn't realize, but I realized this time, the CS300 and 100 is a configuration of 2-3. They leave one seat free if you're in business, so you are 1-2, basically. Uh, so you, it's great to be on the, the two side because you're going to be alone and it's going to be have an extra seat for you. The one thing that makes sense now that I think about it, but I didn't know, is that the bins on the side of the three are bigger than the bins on the side of the two seats, which means that Makes if you sense. have a larger carry-on, and I realized that because the crew was 
fully aware of that. For people that are allergic to carry-on, they said, oh, put it on that side, you'll have more room. And every single time, they had way more room on the other side. So, you guys, if you have a larger carry-on and you happen to be seated on the two sides, just put it on the three side. It's deeper. You'll never have an issue with your carry-on. So, that, I mean, of course, it makes sense when you have a slightly asymmetric uh, seating. But, well, there you go. So, <laughs> and you, you loved the, and you'll see that when you fly it, you love the fact that the little screens on top are really nifty as well. They, uh, they, they don't have, like, drop-down screens. Screens. They have like these tiny, like on the 350 as well, tiny uh, LCD That's LED. So cool. yeah, I can't yeah. wait to to, and and it's in but it's like where the this like you say the seatbelt sign would be. But does it have that information on there as well, or is it just like a map? No, it's a full screen, so they do whatever they want. On Swiss, they're running through. Uh, during the fly, the map and a few advertising about Swiss itself, about new food offerings, etc. And the the safety video goes there as well. So everything goes in this this small screen. It's very, so it's very clever. It's very clever. Yeah, the 350 guys, if you've flown it, has a very similar type of uh, of ID, so they don't have to deal with drop down screen that won't drop down because it happens quite quite a while. Does happen a lot. I, yeah. From what I, I I read somewhere recently, speaking of drop down screens, that. That BA's new deliveries of three 19s and 20s, maybe not 21s, won't have Won't them. have. Yeah, because it's, it's weight. Yeah. And honestly, if it's just for safety video, I mean, you know, you can have just a personal safety, you know, the, the people, the, the crew doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I find that it's hit and miss when they, if they have the map going for the flight after, after takeoff as well. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I, I, I'd miss. But, uh, you know, if they were to introduce Wi-Fi, that would be nice. But still, no Wi-Fi nowhere. Uh, did you have, I didn't ask, do you have Wi-Fi on our Air Canada? No. Ah, even to North America, it's not granted yet. Uh, the other thing, yeah, I wanted to take a hat and flown to Geneva in a while. As I said, Geneva has remodeled a bit. Not only the, the entrance is much, much nicer than it used to be. They gain like two meters. Uh, it's very nice. You'll see if you, if you go, guys. The one very notable thing is they've remodeled uh, security. It's better. And now there's a dedicated and separate priority lane. So fast track access which is very well done. Everything e-gates, you don't have oh, to actually uh, argue with anyone. The same, and that's the only thing I'm going to mention at Zurich, I've finally, after one year, they reopened the Senator Lounge at A-gates and the Business Lounge as well. You might be able to experience that. It's stunning. There's a bistro, industrial look to it, open kitchen, very, very well done. They used to have what they call the longest bar in an airport, which was a smoking section. That, of course, smoking now it's gone. So this is, is becoming a quiet section that overlooks the entire lounge itself when people can eat and have seats. It's really, really nicely done. So kudos. It was well worth one year of wait to remodel the entire thing. Oh, and cool. also, also, when you enter there, and the same as SAS when I was lately, you scan your boarding pass and the door opens. If it doesn't open, it means that you're not allowed. And of course, there's someone if for some reason you forgot to put your frequent flyer on your ticket. But I mean, I like that, you know, it's just fast. Yeah, that does make it a lot easier because sometimes on busy, in, no matter what the lounge or the airline, there can be a bit of a queue. Yeah, it happens, especially we mentioned Terminal 2. Try to get into Lufthansa's lounge at Terminal 2 at Heathrow at 5 a.m. with everybody the, for the first flight gets in, and you'll have five or six persons in front of yeah. you, which is fine. I mean, I'm not... Uh, but if you just have the time for one coffee and then you have to dash, it would be nice to have like a gate, just like... Absolutely. You know, and just have a person 
to clear out people that have an issue. Uh, the one really cool thing, though, at Geneva that I didn't realize when I landed at Geneva, the runway was called 0523. When I left, it was called 0422. They repainted... Oh, the, what? Yeah, they repainted the whole runway during one night. Uh, Geneva also has a curfew because the magnetic north had slightly changed and thus they are closer now to 422. So they renamed the entire runway and now on maps, on pilot's maps, it will be 422. That happened a week ago. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> that is interesting. How often does that happen? I think Heathrow had that once, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Maybe. I don't know. It, I mean, anyway, there you go. Uh, yeah, Madrid. I was in Madrid for IATA. One thing I, I told you, Alex, one really fun story. I was at the, the bar of the hotel, which, has, of course, it's IATA events. It was clearly just next to the airport. I could see, actually, uh, some of the runways and landings. So that was actually cool. pretty cool. And there was this guy that looked really like a sailor. Like I had like a, even, you know, the, the stripes, white and blue, like a sailor. He had the bird of a sailor. Also, it was like maybe in the 60s, so all white white he was swearing like a sailor as well <laughs> broken english like a sailor because he was for belarus uh, from minsk and you know the guy just starts talking to me next to me and i'm like whatever and he says uh, where are you from i'm um, from london oh i know london ethro he starts talking at ethro and i look at him and say are you a pilot and yes i am a pilot he's never been to the uk but only to the airport uh, and Actually, he's a, a cargo pilot that was straight. I mean, I mean, these kind of stories you can only get at an airport by yeah. the guy. And I'm going to do the short version. It was taught by his father when he was nine years old to fly in a fighter jet because his father was a, a military pilot. Then himself became a, a cargo military cargo pilot and now flies Ilyushin uh, 76 and Antonov 12s for a very small cargo company based in Minsk. I think it's called Ruby Star. And... <laughs> This guy had so many stories. I cannot because we know we try to be now PG rated, and uh, because we know we have uh, small kids uh, listening to us. I'm not going to go into the <laughs> sweary words of, and uh, also you can imagine the type of stories of um, a sailor of the sky. You know, he was able to quote me word by word. Saint Exupéry, you know the famous yeah. book. You know the Petit Prince. He knew it by heart. I mean, you can see the wow, even passion. the passion, yeah, exactly. And that's the kind of thing that only pilots will have. It's just amazing. The one really funny bit it was um, so I was asking him what kind of um, you know planes he was flying. He told me like I told you the Antonov the Illusion, and then he was like, "Yeah, very good planes. You know they've been around for forty years. You know they're solid. No way they never have problem. Where's the Starlifter now?" And you know, the Starlifter was this, I think, American plane and has been only running for 20 years. And so, and at first I thought, okay, you, he's dissing American and British aircraft, that only the Russian are the good ones. But then, no, he goes into like, no, no, but the Hercules, the Hercules C-130 is the best plane in the world for cargo. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think you'd find many people that would disagree with him there. But, the, no, but I mean, was, the Aleutian seventy sixes. That's one of my favorite airplanes. It is right. It's it the is. coolest. Li- I, I I still love the. I got to poke around in one in Muscat one time. Maybe it was oh, him. Maybe he. They they were running stuff out of Afghanistan, and it was a. <laughs> I don't know if it was. Maybe it was Belarus. I have a picture of it somewhere. And. To something that you and me can relate, actually. He said that uh, the founder of that cargo company was a very successful businessman that was in love with aviation and just ditched everything and said, okay, I'm not a pilot, but I love to fly, so I'm going to open my own cargo company to being able to be a co-pilot. So he says some from time to time, the co-pilot of his uh, cargo flights is the CEO and founder of the company. That's so cool. 
And I love that. That's kind of fashion. Stuff. I'm going to start an airline. Just yeah, exactly. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Madrid. Thank God I was not at T4 with like you know T4 and T4S are like in different countries or something. Uh, but you know what, Madrid? Just you know you have terminal one, two, three. I think they're called. Just rename them a single terminal because the, you don't know where you are. So my boarding pass was saying, Paul, you're at terminal two. So I you know my stop at terminal two, enter, check in, go fast track, whatever, and then uh, gate. Oh, gate E. And I walked to gate E and actually I'm in terminal three, which is fine. I don't have a problem with it. But I'm like, why would you separate artificially guys in Madrid? Just rename the thing into one yeah. goddamn terminal. It's going to be the end of it. And I uh, want to shout out uh, Matthew J. Gardner uh, at Matthew J. Gardner on Twitter. He said uh, to us, listening to episode 64 of my new favorite podcast at Leovers, and found out that Paul is a fellow Madridista. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I didn't go to, I didn't get to see Real Madrid because they were playing when I was there. But I saw the game in the hotel. That's where I met the cargo pilot. So, hala Madrid. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, since we were in Canada, I knew one more thing about a Canadian because now a Canadian is supposed to be the new CEO of Air France, and what a ruckus is that creating, right? <laughs> yeah. Although I've. I've we didn't talk much about it uh, when it happened, this new CEO appointment, but the unions at least seem to be optimistic, and the unions have not been anything positive at all with Air France for the last several years. So the, the unions at first were very like, okay, why don't we hire a French? You know, they say, oh, look, the Americans only have Americans, the, I don't know, the Dutch have a Dutch, why don't we don't hire? I mean... We can argue that Air France needs some new blood, for sure. And the guy has been Ben Smith, I think he's called. He's been doing Air Canada for 20 years or something. He was a CEO for Air Canada. So he's, he's a seasoned and well-appointed CEO. Yeah. The thing that the unions were very unhappy besides his nationality was his salary. Because in France, you know, very highly paid uh, CEOs and executives don't fly well. Yeah. So Ben Smith was very smart to say that he's going to reinvest half of his salary into the company. Yeah, that was, a, at the very least, a, a smooth diplomatic move. Yes, yes. Yes. And if you guys are interested, there's a story on Bloomberg. I know I haven't done the, sh the show notes forever because both of us are super busy. Uh, look it up. The name of the article is The Future of Air France Depends on Becoming Less French. There you go. You have the entire title right yeah, there. I don't know what that means, but um, I think they have a point. I think it's, it's certainly from a corporate governance and yeah. operational perspective. Yeah, because Air France is losing money compared to KLM, which isn't. By the way, I've met both the CFOs of Air France and KLM, and boy, they looked like very, uh, they were the most striking personas of the entire people I've met during my work for IATA. They are very tall and very commanding. And you're like, wow, Ben Smith, good luck, because if you have to fight these kind of C CFOs to agree with you, well, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> the other big news that actually is not really news because we kind of all knew about it and it's still not confirmed is is Emirates going to take over Etihad? Yeah, this has really picked up pace in the last week or so, hasn't it? These these rumors from reasonably credible sources. The article, it's I think it's on again, maybe Bloomberg. Bloomberg, yeah. Uh, says Bloomberg covers everything nowadays. Uh, they say that uh, the talks are underway. But the rulers would have to agree. My thinking is that if the talks are underway, is that the rulers already kind of said yes because you cannot just start talks no. without having the rulers of both. The Emirates uh, saying, hey, well, we agree that you are uh, looking at this, right? Yeah. No, I, I, I think no one was surprised by this speculation at the uh, very least. I think We it, talked about it many times. Yeah, that it was a natural... I mean, they would be the biggest airline by... In the world. 
by yeah. I can't remember what the metric was, but there were one or two at least, like uh, certainly operations and maybe fleet size and daily flights. But yeah, they it would, would uh, it would overtake uh, American, American and Delta yep. and United and everyone. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Now the question is, so what will they do with the airports? Will they actually? put everything uh, to bar or they do like load balancing and say some of the routes go through because again I, we mentioned that in the last episode Abu Dhabi has this new midfield terminal opening brand new and Dubai is a bit cramped and their Al Maktoum which is the second Dubai airport is nowhere near to be ready so it will be interesting to see if again if 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 that happens what they will actually do yeah the most interesting for me is, uh, let's put it that way, what will happen with some of the orders that uh, Emirates has done if suddenly they onboard a lot of new aircrafts because they will have the aircrafts of Etihad. Do they need to order everything? Yeah, because they, uh, their order book is massive at the moment. So that's a really good point. What are they going to do? Do with, I, I would imagine they would defer a lot of them. And I think you're right. They'd move stuff over to, to Abu Dhabi because they have – at least a month where one runway at Dubai is closed next year. Oh wow! For, Again. for, for the for the once every ten years, resurfacing and and restrengthening of that of that of that runway, and their capacity is going to be reduced at Dubai by forty six percent. So they're oh, wow. worried a little bit about that. They they talked about moving stuff over to DWC, but if they get this deal done in time, then that kind of solves the problem. You just run everything through Abu Dhabi. Because I remember the the runway had been closed a few years ago, and I remember going there, and that was I mean it was okay, but there were some delays, and it had to kind of reschedule some of the flights to make sure that uh, wow I didn't know yeah oh, well, there you yeah, go. but that's a problem of. DXB, I mean, it's one of the largest airports in the world, only two runways and they're right in the middle of the city. So they that's they have a constraint there. They really do. Yeah. Are you going to fly Emirates anytime soon again? Um, nothing planned, but it's it's always where I look first. I think, you know, you know what's interesting is that I, I they don't come up in Google Flights with any consistency. So True, I, I agree. I, I have to sort of, but Google Flights, I think, and we've talked about this in the past, is... Not nearly as reliable as it used to be. Kayak does a lot of uh, yeah. you find all the good deals with Emirates. Even some of the stuff that you... I'm not saying that you, you won't see them on Emirates.com, but Kayak will create pairs that you'll have to be a bit inventive if you were on Emirates.com, which is why I like uh, Kayak for when I look for Emirates flights. Yeah, they, they're much better at surfacing those deals or even Emirates flights at all than, than Google flights is. Yeah, you, I know you're absolutely right. I will I will fly them, I think, next month again. I'm not going to tell you where because it's again a new destination that will be once I do it. Uh, Emirates won again for the 14th year in a row the best IFE award. Yeah, I believe that. It's so <laughs> yeah, good. It's a, I just mentioned that because you were talking about the Air Canada IFE. I mean, you know, I've seen great IFEs over. I mean, again, Etihad was very nice and... I always have a soft spot for the one for Turkish. Uh, I mean, the one that actually works because you have like so many variants of... <laughs> so the one in the triple sevens, basically. Um, Tim Clark has said recently that they might expand again in the US. And, you know, that kind of seems to be clashing with the agreement we had discussed uh, with the US. However, and I'm quoting uh, Tim Clark here, in no way was there any commitment verbally or otherwise. What we said was that was never the thrust of our business model. So basically what he's saying is that the U.S. is not our main focus, but we never said that we will not go and expand to the U.S. So, haha. well, let's see. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, did you not see a fifth train flight? Who was it? Qatar that was flying to Amsterdam to Chicago, maybe? Yeah, you sent me that. I had no idea. 
Yeah, I, I was really, I was pissed off that I didn't see it before because I'd already booked my flights. But yeah, um, I'm. It was either it was somewhere where I was going, so either Amsterdam, Chicago, or Amsterdam, Vancouver. I had no idea. They, I don't even remember how it popped up. I think I just happened to click on a, on a flight and uh, plane finder or flight radar and saw it and was like, "What the heck is this?" <laughs> But I mean, I'm welcoming more Fifth Freedom Rally they can do, whether, by the way, with a Qatar, Etihad, or Emirates, because, again, it's just for competition's sake. So I'm not saying that every single time we would fly Emirates over AA. You seem to love AA. We'll talk about it a bit later. But I mean, again, competition is nice. Also, Tim Clark said, I don't think it was the same interview, but uh, in the same, also in the last two, three weeks, he said that uh, so premium economy is coming. We know that. He said the reason they waited up to now is uh, the yields we have been getting out of our existing premium cabins have been growing very significantly. Mm. So there was always a concern that if they were to introduce premium economy, they would actually, of course, cannibalize themselves. I'd be very interested to see Emirates take on premium economy. I'm sure it's going to be pretty awesome, actually. I think so, too. <laughs> they, they, they love doing a pretty cool thing. Uh, the uh, American airline CEO, on that debate about uh, the ME3 in the US, said that some are cheating and basically is pointing out Qatar, by the way, of Air Italy, because Air Italy is starting to fly to the US. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> so boring. I agree. So, uh, to better things that we live pizza joseph zalai i'm not sure i'm pronouncing your name correctly joseph please forgive me a j-r-s-z-a-l-a-i on twitter uh look at this layovers mini margarita pizza at emirates uh, business lounge t3 concourse a in dubai yeah i've actually it's true i think i've seen it they are actually small pizzas that seem to be oven baked at Emirates T3 uh, in Dubai. So, haha, well, one more line in our spreadsheet. Yeah, <laughs> the pizza spreadsheet. <laughs> so, very long flights. Uh, to talk a little bit about very long flights, because Singapore just received today, I think it's today, actually. We're recording today, the 24th of September, 2018. The reason I mentioned 2018 is that one of our listeners, our beloved Nick Donnelly, was catching back on earlier episodes and said that sometimes, since we don't mention the year, of course, with a long tail of uh, podcasting, well, you don't really know where That's you are, actually. So yeah, he has a good point. So from now on, when we're going to stay, stay to date when we're recording, we'll try to put the year. So if you're listening back to old episodes, you know where we are. So 24th of uh, September 2018. It's been a little bit uh, we haven't recorded. Uh, so Singapore is getting its first A350 ultra long range. It's being delivered. It's actually flying. I think Maybe it just actually- landed. I landed uh, last night, 16 and a half hours. Oh, okay. That's the first. That will be, of course, for the opening of the route between Singapore and uh, Newark. We mentioned it. No economy, only uh, business and uh, only business and first or business and premium economy. I don't remember now. Never mind. So what I learned that I didn't realize is that this plane will not actually have a lot of clients because Philippine Airlines is buying some 350s as well. Uh, thank God, because airplanes are becoming very, very old. They're going to fly, I think, one to London, which is pretty, pretty long flight. It's also almost 7,500 miles, maybe, or something. Yes, yeah, a long way. Uh, I think it's already on. But they are thinking, 
or they're planning to do Manila to New York, which is very long as well. So JFK, this time, not Newark. Manila to New York. Oof, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a very, very long flight. But interestingly, they're not using the ULR for that because they the normal 350, but there's a special delivery that's called a high gross weight. I don't know exactly what it entails. Probably they remove some of the cargo stuff or something. So that is enough to cover that distance, which is at the limit of the range of the 350, which means that this very, 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 you know, super long range 350 will have Singapore and maybe Qantas if they choose it for their Sydney route. But I don't see anyone else taking it. There's no lot of routes that go for like 9,500 miles. No, not that I can think of. Or city pairs. No, I don't think there's there's many of uh, of that magnitude, if any. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we promised in the last episode, we we're going to talk briefly about Project Sunrise. So this is what Qantas is calling its project to do Sydney to London. That's 20 hours and 20 minutes. And also Sydney to New York, uh, which is about 18 hours and 30 minutes, probably. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very long flight both ways. And they are basically raise a challenge to Airbus and Boeing and said they come up with a, an airplane that can do that with three class, uh, you know, they don't want to go the, the route of Singapore Airlines. I still don't yeah. understand how that can be healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the they have hired a jet lag expert. I don't know what it is. Do, do you know a jet lag expert, Alex? I don't know a jet lag expert. I mean, I, I am a jet lag uh, aficionado, <laughs> but I'm certainly no, not an expert. Yeah, because these uh, they've hired someone to see what they could do during the flight. And that's part of these Project Sunrise, is how they call it, uh, to have these non-stop flights. So they also enlisted the University of Sydney to study the effects of uh, long periods at high altitude. Yeah. The usual stuff, you know, humidity, food, movements, so exercise. So what they are actually doing right now is that they are looking for frequent flyers. Maybe, Alex, you could do that, or me, to wear monitors on wrists and legs to study what happens when you don't move, when you move, if it's enough simply to move your feet or you need to actually walk. I would be very interested to see the outcome of that. I I just, you know, I did a flight recently, just just London to Chicago, which I'll talk about later. And just the timing of the day, it was only eight and a half hours, but it felt just interminable. Yeah, these day flights are like super freaking long. And no matter the class you're in, I mean, I'm I'm sure that some people will call us out and say, "Oh, yeah, you're in business class, you're in life flight mode." Yeah, it's still boring. It's yeah, it's still boring. It's still I'm not saying, yeah. It, yeah. it doesn't matter what you know, and that then that's only magnified when you're in economy. And I think it's very sensible of Singapore Airlines to do whatever it is, premium economy or in business only or business only. I think in that case, it's most it's an economic factor. It's a weight factor as well. They, yeah. I'm not sure the number of passengers. Ah, again, but the other thing that is they're very studying very carefully is the mood lightning. Uh, of course, we know that like a blue lights are kind of keeping us awake, which is why it's a very bad idea to have your phone next to your bed, for instance, because you're never going to fall asleep. Mm. So how can they change? The, of course, the cool. We know that modern aircraft, especially Airbus, has like these 40 million different colors you can do with LEDs, but also the type of screens the IFE have, because if they're too bright, again, they will keep you awake. Maybe it's better that you yeah. don't. I mean, it's, it's and the materials that the, the seats are made of. That's one thing we learned at Virgin America is that the you have to be cognizant of the reflective quality of the materials in the cabin because of the IFE and the mood lighting. The other thing that Qantas mentions doesn't mean that they're ever going to do it. You remember that prototype or project that Airbus talked about, which is replacing parts of the cargo downstairs yeah. with berth. They say, why wouldn't we 
allow people to rent a bed for two hours and then you go back to your seat, especially people, again, who are in the economy, uh, to kind of do these kind of load balancing to allow people to move and also to maybe be in a different position. I, again, I, this looks like a bit like science fiction, but maybe it will happen because for these such long flights, the, these researchers and jet lag experts, so-called at least jet lag experts, it feels like a social media ninja, but on jet lag, uh, they will learn that it's better to rest. I, I have no idea, but it will be interesting to see. I think Ed Parsons did London Perth, which is already you know, the longest flight you can do from London nowadays. It's very long already. Yeah, I, I yeah, think uh, I, I think I'd rather stop. I, and I'm 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 not really in. I much prefer non-stops, but in at that distance, I think I'd be happy to stop in Singapore or Hong Kong or Dubai or somewhere just to get out and stretch the legs and get some quote-unquote fresh air. Yeah, and I like just hanging out in the lounge as well. But I understand the reasoning behind. And, and you know, there, yeah, was, yeah. There, there was a lot of people say, this will never work. People will not fly. I mean, remember, guys, I was wanting to fly. I mean, I did fly to Australia last month. And I was looking, obviously, I went and said, oh, I'm going to go to Perth. And then from Perth, I'm going to go to Melbourne. I mean, the price were, like, exorbitant, so I didn't do it. Because I'm very price I don't have a corporate that pays for my stuff. But... The very interesting bit is that uh, Qantas released the numbers and the load factors on that uh, London to Perth are like 92% for premium classes. 92%. Wow. I mean, most airlines, if they are at 82 in general, are happy. You know, below 80 starts to be kind of shaky. And, you know, and then you have Air Belgium was like five and basically stopping all the routes now. <laughs> but <laughs> sorry for the dig at Air Belgium. But I think it's just announced that they're going to stop everything. Yeah. But, but you know, 92%. So it means it's really, really full. That's, it's, it's extraordinary. So they've got yeah. the maths right, clearly. And I think yeah. that that's why all of a sudden we're seeing this this real growth in these types of routes and the explorations of even even longer routes because they finally figured out a way to make the numbers work. And also they had like good wins. I learned that uh, they constantly beat the record. They've done, uh, I think the, the schedule time uh, was 17 hours and 20 minutes. They were able to do it in 16 hours and 20 minutes. Wow. Um, uh, that's to London, I think. Uh, to Perth, they also strip uh, Naroff. They did it in 15 hours and 45 minutes. So they have oh. the, the gods of the winds with them or something. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> but since you talked about food in Singapore, Singapore is because they're also, you know, thinking about other types of rides. They don't have a Project Sunrise, but they have also hired this time a wellness guru. My God, these titles. I want to be a wellness guru, Alex, <laughs> and a jet lag expert and an airline ninja or something. Um, they are looking mostly at, uh, of course, a small exercise to be done with the flight, but they are looking at the food. What kind of food should we give to passengers to have these very long flights? And the major lesson in all these articles that I've read is that they're looking for lighter stuff. They will avoid a lot of starch, avoid a lot of stuff that makes you too heavy, too bloated. Uh, so makes basically, sense. yeah, it, it seems to be, of course, making making sense. Yeah, and they also offer, and I think we've had that. You've seen that. They they all want to offer these routines that you're supposed to do at your seat by looking at your IFE. No one does that. Exactly. Do you ever? No. I mean, I do. I do. Especially if I'm in economy on long haul, I always am aware of moving my feet, wiggling my toes, um, all of that stuff. But I don't look at the IFE to do it. Um, yeah. I just know someone that's had DVT, and that just sounds horrendous. So, oh wow, well, yeah, oh, yeah. So the main course that uh, they've uh, some of the menu because you like food, Alex, uh, seared chicken and zucchini pappardelle with some braised tomatoes, lemon vinaigrette, and uh, micro basil. Micro basil is that is. like a, whatever that is? Proper, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
people who follow Alex on Twitter will get that one. Uh, a dessert will be lemon angel food cake with blueberry topping. Mm, I mean, it bad. all sounds fine, but I mean, if you read the menu on any airline, it all sounds yeah, exactly. fine until it's put in front of you. It's like a French restaurant, you know, you don't understand what you're actually eating. Right? Yeah. You know, like, you need a dictionary and like a, a live translator to actually understand what you're doing. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, back on Qantas, just for a few things. Uh, Qantas, actually, because we had a discussion, I had a discussion with, I think, Dan, Dan Tan Dan, who lives in Melbourne, who was very helpful with me when, when I was traveling to Melbourne, um, that in Australia itself, and I haven't done, I was actually looking, you know, when I was there, I was like, should I do a very quick hop between Melbourne and Sydney and back? Just to, but I mean, that was three days. It was yeah, no way. Yeah, went there long enough. Apparently, and please, people who live there, Dan, maybe, it's possible to buy like a season ticket, meaning it's like a bus. You don't even have to, you just show up at the airport and you get to the, if there's a seat free, you just get in. Really? I think it's possible. Yeah, because it's so, so many people doing it and it's like one of the heaviest routes in the world that you just buy a season ticket and whenever you, you need, you just go to the airport cool. like a bus. At, at least I know it was the case. I don't know if it's the case anymore. So I mean, that, that's how flying used to be anyway. anyway. You yeah. know, you, you showed up at a counter. Yeah, exactly. Or you could even buy your ticket on board. How wonderful that we can maybe at least point in that direction again. What you're telling me is that, you know, it's like when you take the train, you're supposed to buy a ticket on board and then nobody shows up. So you've you done it for free. So yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah there, <laughs> you could do the same. Yeah. I should, I should have tried that to Perth. I just showed up in the, the aircraft and, you know, maybe hide. I'm too tall to hide. Oh, well, anyway. Well. So the reason I was mentioning Qantas is that there was another Bloomberg. Bloomberg covers everything article that shows that, yeah, Qantas is doing very well because you remember they had like a lot of uh, issues back two years ago. They were losing money, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But there's a big uh, problem in there is that they have actually very low competition on their own market, which is why they're doing very well. The economics of their flights is actually pretty bad. Their cost is very, very high. For instance, if you take the passenger yield, the passenger yield in the industry is like seven, eight cents the revenue passenger kilometer. For Qantas in Australia, it's 40 cents. That clearly shows you that there's, I mean, if no. you're that high, you don't have any competition, right? Exactly. <laughs> Qantas doesn't, you know, disclose full cost, but by inference, you can see that their cost is really, really high. So meaning that the whole signs point to there's room for somebody to create yet another competitor because there's Virgin something, Virgin Australia, Virgin Australia Ex- Express, maybe? Virgin Australia, yeah, yeah. Qantas has a lot of fat. Yeah, clearly. Clearly. It's, it's a fascinating business model when you've got a, you know, domestic system or network that's really propping up your international ambitions although you know they seem like they're a very well-run airline Uh, yes it's more like a warning i guess to say that if you have not a lot of competition you're making too much money your costs of course have a tendency to rise because you're not as cautious either they pay attention or at some point somebody will jump in and create something that will disrupt them Uh, air norwegian australia or something Uh, yeah (laughs) Uh, to use the airline that everybody uses as the... Uh, Scarecrow. The straw man. Thank you. Yeah. The straw, yeah, exactly. Because everybody likes to criticize Air Norwegian, but they do. at the end of the day... They do. You know. Have you ever flown Qantas? Nope. I've never flown Qantas. So Qantas and Cathay just announced co-sharing, frequent flyer sharing, and uh, also interlining. Um, they both part of one world. Yeah, you can already... Yeah, but they're frenemies. I mean, they kind of mm-hmm. hate, hate each other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they operate on those incredibly competitive Asia-Australia routes. So there will be now 12 routes from Hong Kong 
connecting Asia and India, and Cathay Pacific 13 routes to Australia will be co-chairs, both on Wild World, but if you fly with a co-chair, you'll gain more frequent flyer miles if you are on either of these programs. Uh, what's the name of the Qantas? Uh, Marco Polo and... Qantas something, I forgot the name of uh, Flying Club, I think it's it's the name of it. So it shows that if frenemies are getting closer, the competition is working because they know something is up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think so, consolidation. And you that you love Cathay Pacific and you love the history of aviation, the first ever 777 that got bought by Cathay Pacific is now back to Boeing. Yes, it's gone to a B... HNLI, I think, is the registration. It was the first, it was one of the testbed aircraft that several years later ended up at Cathay and flew for 20 something years with Cathay. They've flown it to a museum in Arizona to be preserved as a as a piece of aviation history, which I think is lovely. And there was a lot of ceremony from Cathay and from Boeing and, and various other people about this airplane, which I which I think is is rather nice because the Triple Seven is a significant airplane in our Absolutely. you know our, in our brief aviation history. So I'm glad that they had the foresight to to preserve it. I'm surprised actually that it didn't end up in Seattle at the museum that I went to, where they've got the first of so many of those Boeing airplanes. But at least it's being preserved somewhere. Yeah, and what you said, I think I think I said it, we said it many episodes ago, but a 777 one of the biggest bets ever. That's where Boeing is gutsy, because the ETOPS didn't allow for long-haul two-engine, you know, everything was... Four engine Four aircraft, engines, yeah. like, and they went for that, and they changed the old E-tops, and now we have, of course, the Dreamliners, the three thirties and three fifties, etc. But they were the first one to say, you know what, we're going to make a bet. We'll have long haul with two engines, which sounded crazy at the time. Yeah, yeah, so it, it's a, it, it was uh, the whole process and development of that airplane is is very interesting. Actually, the new one, the triple seven X, which first was just uh, rolled out of the industry. It will never fly. They just do tests on the ground with that one. This one has like these uh, wings that move, right? Uh, yeah, the, the wingtips, almost like a carrier-bound aircraft. It's or be a transformer. Yeah, or a transformer. I like that better. <laughs> so they, they keep iterating. I'm, I'm very, very, very curious to see. Emirates will have it. Lufthansa will have it. A lot of airlines. Uh, the 777 is really an amazing plane. Now, nowadays, to be frankly honest, when I fly, my favorite plane, I think on long haul is the 350 over the Dreamliner. I think the 350 is my... I'm impressed by the 350. I'm looking forward to flying it again next month. Oh, lucky you. It's really, really a nice aircraft. But the 777X will give it a run for its money. One more about long haul flights before we go to your flight, to your American airline flight. Garuda, you remember guys, I've flown Garuda from London to uh, Jakarta. That was five, six episodes ago. Just look it up. Well, they stopped. They're not flying from London anymore, which is both strange and explainable. The strange is that they seem to have made a lot of effort, but you remember they were in a different terminal than the rest of uh, Sky Team. Maybe they kind of gave up. Maybe the yields were not there. They will now fly exclusively from Amsterdam. Of course, you know, Amsterdam, Indonesia, and the Netherlands. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kind of share it with the West Indies, 350 years of occupation by, you know, by Holland. Of So they have actually the 
Even whilst the route was going from London to Jakarta, the HQ of Garuda in Europe was actually in Amsterdam. So now if you want to fly Garuda to Jakarta, you will have to first fly, it will be a single ticket obviously, but a KLM flight to Amsterdam to connect. It was the longest flight you could fly from London until that Perth with Qantas. So, well, it's a bit sad, but I understand why they do it. Well, guys, so sorry, you won't be able to replicate the experience, exact experience I had on my flight. And now it wasn't such a long flight, but how was... American Airlines to ORD? Yeah, they were really good, actually. And I was in economy. So there we are. I was in economy. I was in the first row of economy. It was a, it was a 7878. And one thing I failed to mention on my Air Canada trip, which is also the case on my American Airlines Dreamliner, they both had Air vents. Oh, yeah. You even sent me a picture. And I was baffled because it's not the case on every Dreamliner. On 777s, not always either. Basically, what we agreed, you and me, is that it's a choice of the airline. Yes. And thinking about it, when because I came back on a 777-300 on American, and I was in premium economy for that bit, and it was 242. And they had air vents, and I was in the block of four. You were in the middle? I was in the middle because I booked last minute and the other seats were taken. But um, they, (laughs) for me to turn on or off the vent... It's very high. It was very high, and I would have to reach over the people next to me. Completely (laughs) pointless. Completely pointless. However, these these ones on the Dreamliner, they were really, really good. They are a bit plasticky, I find. Yeah, they're they're very plastic. They look very flimsy. They're not this nozzle that we're used to. They're this sort of... Star-shaped. Yeah, almost like the aperture of a camera. Yes. You twist it and it opens a little bit. But yeah, so it's just nice to have it because sometimes those those planes can be incredibly warm. Yes. But yeah, American... American were great. I, I, of course, I was able to use the wonderful Cathay Lounge at T3, nice. which because uh, American operate exclusively, yes, exclusively out of out of T3, and that that boarding process was was fine. It was out on one of the there's the long extension and the sort of 30x gates. Yes, uh, at T3, it was one of the side gates in there, not the end pier, which they usually uh, operate out of. The seats, because I was in a bulkhead, they had the fixed armrest the Uh seats were very 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 snug very narrow and the people sitting next to me also remarked how snug they were but you had a little bit more leg room because of the bulkhead situation yes a little bit more and um so this the 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 screens were they on the wall or were they on the side of the under the armrest they were under the armrest which also explains a bit the snugness a bit because in that case you have to kind of put the screen somewhere right yeah they had to put the screen somewhere and American economy is very interesting because it's split into, I can't remember what they call it, economy select maybe or something like that. It's it's not premium economy. It's the same cabin, same seats, but you don't have to pay for booze because if you were not in these seats, you had to pay for booze. Okay. So... They came along, they did They did drink service. The service was very casual to the point of being sort of uncomfortable. Um, you mean by too casual? Too, too casual to the point of being almost careless? Unpro- unprofessional. Um, oh, the wow. banter was a little bit too familiar. Not, not. I like banter. I like a sense of familiarity and friendly. But this wasn't that. It was, it was just a bit too... I don't know, convenience story. <laughs> it was just one person that, that I no, no, had an observation with. But the, the drink service was fine. The food was was fine. They did an ice cream service halfway through the flight. 
the IFE on American is is very very good, very comprehensive. They have IFE available, which is through Panasonic, and it's it's fast. It's really fast. So it's like twenty bucks for the whole flight. And again, to my earlier comment, the flight left at like five five p.m. Eight and a half hours. And God damn it, does it just drag on and on and on. Because, because six hours into it, you're like, man, I'm, I'm tired. I want to go sleep. I, this is my bedtime. And you're, it's not, you're not particularly comfortable. And for jet lag's sake, it's probably not a good idea to sleep. Uh, yeah. You've watched the movies. You've used the, you know, you, yeah. you sort of flick through every social media thing you can find. And it just, it drags on and on. Uh, you know, ORD is what it is. Interestingly and rather hilariously, my friends were flying in on Norwegian and they were left Gatwick about an hour and a half before me, but they didn't actually get in their taxi until about 10 minutes before me because when they landed reasonably on time at, at, at Chicago at O'Hare, they couldn't open the door of the airplane. It was stuck. <laughs> and I was like, that's hilarious, but also kind of scary had there been an emergency, but they, they just sat on the my plane. My God. So anyway... <laughs> um. I think that I would opt for I don't know. I think it would I would I would think very carefully between picking BA economy uh, and American economy. On you remember that I uh, sent you there was this article of this guy who wrote a, a report on Business Insider, I think. Yes. Uh, Business Insider I, is an aggregator, so maybe the article was somewhere else first, but who compared BA economy with AA economy for him, uh, I think it was a him, AA economy was superior. Would you most likely go that route as well? I think I probably would only okay. because and it's 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 not it's not nothing substantial. The seat is is, is fine. I'd be interested to try a non-bulkhead seat or an emergency exit row if they have them yep. in, in in economy. I think the food is slightly better on American. Wi-Fi makes a huge difference. I'd say the American IFE is probably as good as the BA one. And obviously, I can use the Cathay Lounge. Th those things, it's its their neck and neck, frankly. Wouldn't you think, because we, we said the many times, but also uh, at the top of the show, that with BA, it was a lottery. Sometimes you get like a newer aircraft. Yes. Do you think that the consistency with AA is better? Yes, absolutely. Because their fleet is surprising and how young it is. Yeah. Unless you get one of their older 767s, which I don't even know if they operate to the UK anymore. I, th I don't know where they operate them to. Uh, if you Flying out of the UK, which is a flagship destination for them, you or London, I should say, you will get a 777 or a, or a Dreamliner. And the product on both of those is, is, is very, very good. Well, that, that yields me because remember, I flew 767 with United to the US. I flew Delta to 767. And like, I like these aircraft that like to fly something a bit more modern yeah. when I fly to the US. So I would actually fly AA. I need to try them. Yeah, I, I, interesting. So I have my first, uh, actually, it wasn't my first, but it was a, a domestic hop when I flew back because I went from Chicago to New York and then New York home. Also the, AA all the way. The AA all the way. And I did that because I wanted to try their premium economy uh, product, which they don't have on the Dreamliner. They only have it on 777s. Okay. So, O'Hare, you've heard me talk about what a friggin' airport that is. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I went up and I, I sent you a message when I got there to their flagship lounge. They have got lounges figured out at American Airlines. They really do. I mean, I've, I've gushed about the ones I've been to in Miami and Dallas. The one in Chicago was just as good and I, I 
as I mentioned to you in the, in the in our conversation, I was there when there was a a JAL flight leaving, and so they had um, Japanese speakers there as well, and just the level of service I think was was higher. Do you remember because I replied to to you with that? I said. My favorite lounge at uh, Frankfurt, the dreaded Frankfurt, is the one, I forgot the name, it doesn't matter, it's Lufthansa's, but because all the Japanese flights, people wait there, and usually when you have Japanese people in a lounge, it means that the service will be consistently higher, always. And that's exactly what happened, because I went up to to find out um, about a delay that was happening and uh, whether I could upgrade to to business on the on the transatlantic leg. And the person that helped me was Japanese and extraordinarily helpful and friendly and diligent. And I just thought it was great. The food was, there was sushi available, but the other food they had was great. The drink service, the coffee, the the vibe, the cleanliness, the airiness. It, it reminded me of the, uh, the JAL lounge in Tokyo, in Haneda. Oh, the Sakura. The very similar lounge style ambiance. I was just impressed. Very nice. I mean, that's very impressive because you remember when you told me that about, you know, they seem to have figured out the lounge. I said, yeah, United 2, only that they only have two lounges like that. See, no, I think they've spent five years (laughs) updating their lounges across the world. But that's the thing. They seem to be going faster because, again, not here to just to give a dash to United, but again, I'm star mostly. Uh, It's just that, I mean, the the lounge at, at, I mean, you've experienced it, I think, when you flew ANA. The lounge at uh, T2 at Heathrow is really really good really good and I, haven't, and I haven't seen the global first you know the the thing for like super high-end travelers that is hidden in the, in the back i've heard that the, the you know now they've just opened the one at uh, new york it wasn't open last time i was there and they have one of course i think in chicago but that, that's the thing they have like three yeah maybe guys you will correct me now they have five but this is not a network of loungers you need no, uh, consistency uh, yeah and that's another reason why i'm i'm an American convert is because they've got the lounge situation done. And they've really, really sorted out customer service as well. Yeah, but that's good, man. Wow. It, it, it is good. And so I, I flew from O'Hare to New York, and we were the, – the weather in Chicago when I was there, I was there for a friend's 40th birthday. Hey, Jack, if you're listening, happy birthday for six months ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> went to Soldier Field, watched the Bears uh, win their home opener, nice. went, to, went to Wrigley Field, watched the Cubs – lose implausibly and embarrassingly (laughs) Um, but the weather was great but we we were flying to new york which was getting the tail end of the tornado that had caused so much havoc uh uh, on the eastern seaboard of the united states we boarded on time and we sat there and we sat there and we sat there and the captain came on and said they're doing a ground stop delay in new york because of the weather I was listening to liveatc.net and people, it was happening for all of the New York airports and Boston and everybody was trying to get their departure time. When he came on and said, our wheels up time is an hour from now, Oh wow! but we're going to stay here in case that changes. Then came on and said, the ground stop delay program is not, is done, but now it's flow control. So what we're going to do is we're going to taxi out. And we did. We taxied out to this sort of remote corner of the airport at the opposite end of the departing runway. So the planes were taking off. And we just sat there. You were boxed. You were boxed. We went to the penalty box. But it wasn't a penalty box because we hadn't got our shit together to leave. It was because – so we we got there. It was really strange. And I'm listening to air traffic control, so I kind of had an idea what was going on. And we shut the engines down. 
Oh, wow. Because that's, we did... That's a bad sign. That's a bad sign. And the cap... Again, credit to American. The captain came on and told us every time he had a piece of information, explained exactly what was going to happen. They did a water... Several water runs. They didn't do... Oh, that's nice. Yeah, because the plane was really warm. And then you could see more and more planes lining up next to us as this delay. And all of a sudden, we got the we got the the go. And the reason why we turned the engines off is the captain said we didn't know if we were going to be holding it once we got to New York airspace. So they didn't want to risk that and then having to divert. Meanwhile, everyone's kind of looking at their watches going, Shh, we have f- connections to make here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we, we eventually taxi down and, and fly over Detroit, Cleveland. And the whole time the captain's saying, okay, I'm talking to Detroit airspace uh, or uh, uh, the air traffic controllers for Detroit. And they're telling me this, everything looks good. Okay, I'm talking to Cleveland now and we look good. We're still on time. No delays into New York anymore. Okay, I'm talking to New York. We've just started our descent. And like the whole, like I was really impressed by the, by the professionalism. Again, I was on a 737-800 with seat back IFE power socket at every seat and USB at every seat and Wi-Fi on a two-hour flight. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that we're not getting. Although uh, I mentioned to USAS, I had a little bit of that, but I mean, it's we're not getting that yet here. No. But comp- to the pilot's point, the fact that they inform you, I mean, I've seen that, for instance, I was recently, I don't know why, and I like that. I think I've done six, seven eight flights with Swiss in this month. And uh, uh, at least 60% were uh, first officer was female. And she was the one keeping us uh, appraised with the situation. There was like delays, just weather. There was yeah. also like a heavy, heavy weather over the UK the other day. There was lots of winds and stuff. I like when they inform you. It doesn't have to be like overly complicated, but just let us know what's going on and yeah. we're fine. You know, it's not their fault. But there was also when I was, yeah, I forgot to mention when I was in that CS300, uh, we were on the ground and suddenly they had to kind of reboot the airplane. And the captain came on the PA and says, well, you know, it's a new aircraft and she's still very sensitive. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's kind of nice. That, that's kind of nice. You know, like you have, you mentioned though, and I wanted to have your say that on the podcast, you mentioned that you found very weird. Was it AA or Air Canada? You mentioned where where but the pilot doesn't welcome the passenger before takeoff. It doesn't say anything. Yes, that did happen to me on American going out from London. I think it's, Disconcerting probably isn't the right word. I just think it's yeah. weird when they yeah, we're don't used say to it, right? anything. Yeah, at yeah. least a high and, you know, something very even short. But Yeah, America, the Air Canada ones were very brief. No mention of, of route or flying conditions or anything like that. But And that was both ways. But, yeah, I don't like that. But this 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 gentleman was the opposite of that. And he said, listen, if you got a connection... The airline knows, literally, the system takes care of itself. If you're going to miss it, you'll be rebooked. But I don't think that's going to happen. When we did get off, I would say maybe 75% of the airline, of the the people on the plane were connecting. And they did have it taken care of. I sprinted across the, uh, the terminal and I got to the gate for my New York to London flight as my group was called. Ah, perfect. Which is nice. So I walked on board to the premium economy cabin, which was which was very comfortable, very nice. Again, Wi-Fi, IFE, USB, ver- USB plow- plugs, all of that. Very fast flight across the Atlantic, five hours and 38 minutes from London to Heathrow. I Europe. almost don't like that because you can't really sleep. Can't really sleep. The service was exemplary. Oh, nice. Was, it was, me, man. It was very, I mean, it, it wasn't the sort of, 
Asian style of customer service. It well, of was course. just so friendly and so oh, man. kind and and nothing was too much to trouble. They there was a lot of people who had uh special ordered meals and the guys look, you know, I'll bring it to you so you can see it and I'll show it to you if you want it. Have it. He's like, to me, it looks great. It's got all, you know, it's got way more food than the standard menu. The food was excellent. Really, really good. And I I fell asleep uh, shortly after after the meal service. Oh, the meal. Yeah. And, and when I woke up, there was a tray. It was maybe 20 minutes before landing. There was a breakfast tray sitting next to me. And the guy's like, look, I kept this for you. You know, eat. You must eat. You need, you need, you need. <laughs> I don't want. I, exactly. Like a, like, a, like a grandmother. But he's like, are you sure? Just take stuff off of it, you know, that you want to eat. Put it next to you. But the like fact it. that he went, yeah. he's like, he was looking out for me. He noticed I was asleep. I was just really, really impressed by it. You know, that's a better service that I had on United on that same route. And I was in business class. So uh, there you go. That, that convinces me. I and, think uh, once you, every flight that I've taken on American Intercontinental in premium economy and above, the service, the food have all been as good as Cathay, A&A, maybe not Emirates. Emirates is as an outlier, and as Cathay is as well. But I, yeah, just, Cathay Singapore Emirates are probably a bit in the ether. They're so but high, but yeah. But you I don't think need that. My, economy, as, as I've said, I'll have to think about how I who I choose. Premium economy and above, American across the Atlantic, no doubt. Yeah, well, I will have to do that because uh, it's very interesting. No time to discuss that today, maybe one day, but it's very interesting. Every time we talk about... American airlines in general. <laughs> There's no way to say it. U.S. No, airlines. Yeah, US airlines, airlines yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of people coming back. And as you see today, guys, not a lot of shout outs because we have no time. But come back to say, oh, business travelers usually opt for Delta. It's been a long standing tradition. They love Delta. And the reason being is... I, I used to fly a lot Delta. I don't fly them anymore. I just flew them, you know, in Asia. You heard that in the last episode or two episodes ago. It's because they had the whole turmoil of integrating another airline way earlier than the others. So thus have been stable for a longer time. Thus corporate chose them and, of course, have a... But American Airlines, now that I'm listening to you, seem to have nailed that. They, they had like this consolidation process along with United much later, but they seem to have nailed it to a certain extent. And then since I'm on one world like you, I think I need to try them. Yeah, and I, more and more I'm considering moving my frequent yeah. flyer loyalty to them as well. We're discussing that, right? Yeah, you, too. you, Their upgrade stuff is so much more generous and you can, you can just put your name down for an upgrade and there's yeah, a reasonable God. chance that you'll get it. I don't know what the process is to do that. I think it's pretty laborious, but with the amount well, that I fly transatlantic, it, it makes sense. I think we should just be on the lookout because I'm thinking the same because I've literally never been upgraded a single time with BA, never in my life, which is fine. I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm not entitled, but I only think that is that I would love to be status matched. Yeah. And I know that Alaska, sorry, Alex, Alaska is running nowadays a program that you can be status matched if you, if you guys are interested in their, whatever the name of their program, which is pretty generous if you fly Emirates, actually. If you live in the US, I think from abroad is not as, as good. You can actually status match. I think... Uh, AA runs that, or you know, we should. I just simply you email them and say, guys, look, um, I fly that many times a year, and maybe they yeah. actually listen. Right? It would be good to be able to do that because yeah. at least the process for upgrading in most North American airlines is very transparent. 
Yes, yes, yes. You have all these lists even on the app. You know where you're standing. You know if you're like a number fifth on yep. the standing. It's it's just clear. There's no like it's a black box everywhere else. It's yeah. like you seem like you're lucky or not lucky. It's super frustrating. NBA because we'll get there now. NBA has a lot of issues. First, before we get into the meat of the story, because it has happened to you, BA is. I just mentioned earlier in the show that Air Belgium is you know load factors of minus five percent. Um, uh, BA has so much capacity issue that they are uh, now wet leasing an Air Belgium 340. It's so old that I think it's older than the grandmother that is running after you with the food. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, again, we said it many times in the last past episodes, everybody's scrambling for capacity left and right. There's the trend issue with the 7s. There's been also a few issues with some 320s, uh, also with uh, the engine. So, if you ever fly from, I think it will be London to Abu Dhabi, I mean, fly Etihad or fly something else because of 340 for Air Belgium seems not the best idea to fly with. But the big, 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 big story with BA was that hack was yeah. that uh, half a million people got their account hacked. It's not even a hack because, I mean, you explain it better because it actually has happened to you, the consequences of it. Thank God it didn't happen to me. Like for actually, you know, I checked for like exactly 35 minutes, otherwise it would have happened. So for two weeks in a row, some hackers, let's call them that way, had put some injection of code in in the website of BA and every single transaction that was done within BA's website was captured. And when I say captured, it's not that they got your information, which is a traditional hack where usually, you know, they steal whatever, let's say you have a credit card information that you've saved on the website of the airline. They got that, but they got the transaction, which means that every time, you know, guys, when you put a transaction in, you have to put the three-digit code that is on the back of your card, if you have Visa or MasterCard, or the four-digit code that is in front of your card, if you have Amex, they got that as well, meaning they could replicate the entire card and start actually using it, obviously, for other purposes. BA didn't realize that for an entire two weeks. Two freaking Extraordinary. And also... And that shows the state of BA's IT problem, because we know there's an IT problem with BA. It seems that the reason the hackers were able to do that, they used a page that was a page that you can use to check where is your luggage on BA that hadn't been updated since 2012. So it was such an old code that these guys say, oh, we're going to just go through this little back door. And in and for two freak, I mean, man, I mean, tell weeks, us because yeah. you've experienced firsthand, which thank God, again, I didn't. Yeah, two weeks this exploit was uh, we stayed up on the site. And, and as you say, they got not just the, the traditional stuff, but they got your full unencrypted credit card number and the, as well as your first name, last name, and the, that crucial three or four digit code that is required for, for the transaction to take place. They emailed people that were affected. If you booked during this period, then your information was compromised. That's, that's how it was. I booked five flights during that oh, period. Shit. And sure enough, there were several fraudulent transactions on the card that I used predominantly for it. Thankfully, it was an Amex. And thankfully, Amex are extremely diligent about fraud. And so good. They blocked the transactions. They got in touch with me and said, we probably should send you, uh, cancel the card and send you a new one. Because on Amex's site, the, the hack was so broad and affected so many people that when you logged into your Amex account on Amex, there was a message saying, we know about the BA hack. We know what's going on. We're watching everything like a hawk. Don't cancel your card unless we tell you to, which I thought was really proactive, but also showed the magnitude of this hack. 
if you've got an email, it means you've been touched. If you haven't, I didn't get the email, so I knew I was in touch, which was not very obvious at the beginning, but anyway. And uh, friends of mine in Switzerland, they said, oh, I called my bank, let's call UBS. And as soon as they say, I'd like to cancel my card, the first answer was like, oh, BA. Like, it seemed that it touched so many people, the banks like canceled, canceled. They forced cancel cards on people in the UK, actually, which uh, I understand. So if, let's say you are on Halifax or HSBC, I don't know which bank, because again, I wasn't touched. They would cancel your card. But I mean, imagine if you are not us. I have multiple credit cards because we travel a lot, because we can also afford it probably. And you are on holidays and you have one single credit card that you've been using for your holidays. And you are, there were stories actually that that being reported and you are like in Thailand and suddenly your card gets canceled. Again, I understand why the bank cancels it because it's compromised. What do you do? Yeah. And what, especially what does BA do? Because that's the biggest problem. Has BA done anything to help any one of you guys? They have. <laughs> they've given you a, a, a twelve-month subscription to a credit monitoring service. Yeah, they've also said, yeah, exactly. Hooray! They've also said that they will reimburse you for any fraud, but your your bank will do that. That's how that's how it works. So it's such yeah. a an, an empty gesture. Given that what they did for people during the IT meltdown when you couldn't when flights were canceled and you couldn't travel. This seems so egregious and so yes. much more yes. um, damaging. You know, you I could re- potentially wreck someone's life with this if their identity is stolen. The, the exactly. response, like, and you can't even find the information on their website about it anymore. They've they've kind of buried it. So, and and you know what, the, the page which so the BA as soon as they announced that had a banner on top of BA.com said if you've been please follow this page and you could actually learn information. The pages where you were supposed to input your number, etc., were not secured. I mean, what the hell, BA? I mean, I don't even understand how the CEO is still in place. Yeah, I, I, I don't know who's going to fall on their sword for this one, but it's it's un- completely unacceptable, and I'm amazed that we haven't heard anything else about it. I'm amazed there haven't been lawsuits as well, because... They the, are starting, actually. Yeah, yeah. Or are they? Yeah, I'm not surprised, because the Independent Data Commissioner who has the capacity to find, I think, 4% of annual revenue, which would be half a billion pounds, half a billion dollars for BA, are investigating it as well. And add to that, because GDPR, and if you guys, if you don't live in, in Europe, you've probably have heard of GDPR because you have to resign for a 25 billion newsletter a few mm-hmm. months ago. GDPR also has mechanisms because it's data. Your data, Alex, was stolen. They've been um, not good at protecting your data. Thus, they are liable to also getting fined to that. So the entire fine could be, with the one you just mentioned, between 1 to 1.5 billion pounds. Yeah, and I, I really hope that they get yeah, me too. Or more than just a wrist slapping. And I also want to know what they're going to do for their the people that were affected by this. Yeah, yeah because, I, I mean, you had a good point. So I, you remember, guys, or if you don't, uh, that I was touched uh, almost by luck by this uh, previous IT meltdown where all the flights were canceled, etc. And BA extended me like uh, an extension of my current status, which back then was gold. So I, I have been gold for two and a half years now for free, right? So, which means I was able to fly anything I wanted, uh, which... Now I have to 
it stops next year. I have to kind of start to restart uh, putting flights on, on one. Well, the point here is that you said very well back then that it was a bad idea because it allowed people, again, like me, to try other stuff. Now, with that lesson learned, does it mean that they don't have to offer anything? No, they could have said, hey, here's Alex. You're a valid customer. You have so many flights with us. Here's 100,000 miles. Here's money. Here's something. Yeah. I mean, they didn't offer anything to anyone. Yeah, it's it's, uh, and again, I I think it's because they've got no challengers, they've got no competitor, they've got no one who's going to say what well, what they're essentially saying to their to their most loyal customers is, well, who else are you going to fly on? And I think we're all discovering, yeah. I'm going to fly an American to North America, I'm going to fly on Cathay to Asia, and I'll I you know tonight today I'm flying to Norway and I'm flying on KLM, not BA. And also, if I because I fly BA for some time convenience sakes. I'm like wondering, well, should I not book my flights exclusively on third-party websites or corp? I mean, we don't have corporate travel, but it could be because I don't trust BA's IT at all anymore. No, neither do I, and I, there's that all that trust is gone. And when is what? What's next, Frank? Exactly. I mean, oh, you know what? What they should have offered all the people like you is a high visibility jacket vest. Because yeah. You remember he had that last week. He didn't show. I mean, you know, I don't want to put the entire omen on Alex Cruz, but it seems to be adding up like issues after issues after issues of oversight, of not investing, clearly not investing enough in their IT, both security and general IT as well. We're not specialists here. But I mean, it looks really bad. There's, there have been like hacks of, you know, Target and other big companies in the world. But the addition of problems every six to eight months with BA, something's got to give. Yeah. And usually in such situation, high paid salaries, the CEO is the one that's got to give. And I, I never met him. He's probably a very nice person. But I mean, come on, you need to shake things up. You get yeah. a lead. Of, I mean, I don't know. No, I agree completely. Anyway, I hope that... Uh, Enjoy your um, one-year um, credit score. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, one more news about BA. Uh, good one, a good promise. I don't know if it's promise will be delivered. There is a strong rumor that BA's new business class will be uh, a Q suite with a BA twist. So now that BA twist doesn't mean that it's a such a bad Q suite that is just becoming simply a normal seat or is that to the level of the Qatar Q suite? It's interesting though that they're looking at this for the future because their product is a bit tired in all classes actually. So I hope that they are going that direction. Will that uh, make us fly? I mean, it's now I'm like I'm really like we of course we just got incensed about the discussion, but I'm really like in two between two seats. I'm like, why would I fly them? Yeah. It's, it's hard to, and I have good experience with the people. Generally. Yeah, that's oh yeah yeah, I, especially on short haul. Yeah, uh, Lufthansa is also. I don't know if you've seen. I've I've started a few more images of their new uh, business class, which will appear on the triple seven X, the one we mentioned earlier in the show. The very strange thing, look it up, guys. There's many uh, pictures online. The very strange thing is that they say it's going to be both a uh, one 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 and then one two one. Yeah, I, uh, this is very uh, odd. 
And there are two pictures. There's one picture when you clearly have, you know, what you find, staggered seat with one, two, one, and it seems good. But then they also tout another picture, which has the one we saw earlier as well, a few months ago, when you have a super throne seat in the middle. That's the one, one, one. It's not clear which one will actually be the one in the middle or if they will really mix two different business products. I don't understand, but it looks a vast improvement on the ones currently when you basically are tickling the feet of your fellow passenger yeah. if you ever fly <laughs> Lufthansa. This is a Lufthansa. Of course, uh, the designer actually put that uh, in my mind. The designer by our friend Johnny revealed a few weeks ago that Lufthansa had offered Adidas shoes to all their employees with the Lufthansa logo on the side. And obviously, I immediately went on a hunt, found some local Craigslist of German website appear, and I have one now. Look them up. They're really cool. They all white. so good. And you can choose to have, obviously, the laces in yellow, which I'll do because I need some yellow in my life. There you go. So one more news about Star United, because, you know, we are, we are in a show, Alex and I, that we cannot spend an episode without having a fun news about United. So um, two weeks ago, I think it was, uh, there was a passenger, in, the person had a gun on him. So uh, United crew made them be arrested by the police on the ground. Well, it turns out that this passenger was the air marshal. <laughs> so how can not they know that it's the air marshal yeah. and they make them arrest? I don't know. That's uh, there's uh, some kind of information disconnect there. Oh my god! Yeah. Anyway, uh, and the last one because we like to talk about morons sometimes. So no, we're not going to talk here about United. These uh, people that uh, kind of forgot in brackets to remove uh, the 747 from the Nevada desert after using this plane as a prop for Burning Man. What the hell? Yeah, they just left it. I mean... They just left it there, and it's... Ugh, Burning Man. Exactly, Burning Man. Uh, cruise ships for tech bros. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. It, what a... I mean, how did they think they were going to get away with it? Because they documented the creation and transport of this thing. Yeah. And they said, no, 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 we're, we've got a plan to move it. Pull honky yeah. you do yeah yeah i mean anyway we have our thoughts about all this you cannot feel what we're thinking so uh to another plane uh we're going to vancouver but just before vancouver airport itself you did a very cool flight again last time you were explaining us about that seattle seaplane you did vancouver is basically the same as seattle just a bit but up north was it a similar experience it was we did a we did a flight with harbor air which was great another de, de havilland DHC-3, just a great airplane, great flight, really interesting. Right. Um, I mean, Vancouver, the setting is is yeah. so beautiful with all these islands and the mountains on on, on three sides. Uh, so yeah, just, just breathtaking. And they've got very, very busy float plane terminal there. They, they do up to 200 flights a day, Harbor Air. Is it Air. like a Vorturis for people who want to no, see or, I mean, or is it actual they, charter? Uh, it's they have scheduled services all over, and the the uh-huh. the person that we worked with said a lot of people commute into Vancouver on a seaplane. Man, I need to live in Vancouver. That's what I, I would said. like to commute <laughs> from like places like Victoria, nice. Vancouver Island, and they would fly in. So yeah, this very very busy float plane harbor or terminal, whatever you want to call it, which was nice. which was great. And we went up for about twenty five minutes and uh, and flew around the Greater Vancouver area, which was a, a lovely way to see the city. 
from the air. So yeah, that that was a lot of fun. Wow, wow. Well, uh, guys, you will see at some point the the result in the next uh, one of the next episodes of Attaché. Since you said that you were doing it, I can actually allow myself. You also released just now. Uh, which city was it? Zagreb. Uh, Zagreb. Yeah, that was very nice uh, as well. So, guys, look. I mean, you know, most probably if you listen to layovers by now, you've all been watching the videos of Alex. I know a few of the cities upcoming. I'm very. I'm not going to say them, of course, but I'm very, very uh, excited to see Alex and Greg covering them. Uh, since we're on uh, seaplanes, just before we go to the airport, there was this... Uh, so you remember, guys, when I went to Mali, so in the Maldives, I was telling you that they were uh, building another runway, which yes. would turn to be... Oh, yeah. so, so they actually built it. It was just not finished. And I don't remember, was it Air India? Some yes. plane decided to land on that one instead of the other one, although it was close. It got stuck. <laughs> it got stuck, yeah. I don't, I don't know how they removed it. Of course they did. But now the runway is actually open. So it's really funny because I think the the first plane that was supposed to land as the inaugural plane for the the runway was a 380. The first time a 380 would ever land from Emirates, obviously, in Mali. But arguably, the inaugural plane was that Air India mistook the... <laughs> Anyway, back to Vancouver. How is, I've never been, how is Vancouver? And maybe, maybe, do you remember why all the Canadian airports start with a Y? I don't remember why they all start with Y. Why do they start with Y? Well, I think we said it in episode four. Guys, listen to episode four. We might have said it. Yeah. We forgot about it. So <laughs> tell us about the airport itself. <laughs> Again, a very North American airport in that it has slowly oh. grown outwards and upwards and sprawled and all of that. It's 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 fine. It's 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 actually reasonably modern. They're they're working on it pretty hard at the moment. One of the things that I immediately noticed was when we got off the airplane, you're going through this light and airy terminal, and there was like a a, a roped off you know queue system where you're kind of going looping back and forth for immigration. And there must have been maybe probably about 120 people there. And I thought, oh man, this is going to take a while because the line. Yeah, you sent really me the moving. picture. You were yeah. <laughs> I think, oh, this is weird. And then. They finally let us go, and I'm like, good, we're just going to go and go to the immigration desk and be on our way. Except you go and you 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 come to the top of a bank of escalators, and you look out over this gargantuan immigration hall. Ah, oh, that's the picture you said to me. Okay, wow, holy cow. Where the, there, must, there were thousands and oh thousands God. of people, and there must have been... You know, the, 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 if you imagine, you know, I don't know, maybe a 25 meter wide hallway with this, the snaking back and forth, uh, queuing system that was probably, I don't know, 20 rows deep. Oh my God. This is for, oh. and I, I couldn't believe it. Like you just, you, you, you went back and forth and back and forth and you were queuing to go and use a machine. No way to use the kiosk like we have in in the United States, and oh my so you, God. you they queue. Just add lots of machines and be done. With I don't. Well, the pro. I don't. And again, like North, like in the, in the U.S., you go to the machine, you tap in your information, which takes eight seconds. You get a piece of paper, <laughs> and then you go to an immigration desk, and they ask you a bunch of questions, like why are you here, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. or. Yeah. It took us from from when we landed to getting to the taxi rank took two hours. Wow, that's yeah. no, that's way too long, man. Yeah, it was. And again, I, I if, you, oh if you go to Vancouver frequently or you live there, can you tell me if this is a regular thing? And it was just as bad for the Canadian citizens you, as well. Did you feel that the the booth, the man booth, not the machines, were not all man? No, they, were, and thus- they, they were all. I don't know what the holdup was. Oh my! God. I know a lot of. 
it 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 seemed oh to God. me like this was a regular occurrence because they had the whole <sighs> queuing system set up. Um, a lot of flights from Asia had arrived around the same time as this, but it's a big airport. It should be able to handle that. Yeah, because uh, my last experience, remember guys, I told you in Taipei had a similar experience waiting for forever, same problem, but it's smaller. And Haneda had a similar experience, but because you had only man like five of the 25 booths open. So, I mean, this is, yeah, I would be, I would like to know, guys, we know we have listeners in Canada. Is it something that happens all the time or was just Alex unlucky by the time of his landing? Oh man, it, it was very frustrating. And oh my God. What, it, what's interesting is you, because they're working on that international terminal, you come out eventually into this rather makeshift uh, arrivals area where there's, mm-hmm. you know, a Tim Hortons and not much, not much space at all to to meet arriving passengers. But I yeah. think it's because they're doing all this work to to refurbish the terminal. Interestingly, in Vancouver, and it's a big point of contention, there are no ride sharing services, no Lyft, no Uber, no what? nothing, nothing. Wow. The city's been promising for years, and it's really starting to irk a lot of the uh, travel-based oh, wow. uh, companies there. So, but so your options are to get into town are the SkyTrain, which is great. It's fine. It's a it's a you know just a a, a mass transit train service, or or a taxi. And taxis operate on a fixed fixed zone. How far fare. is it for? It's about half an hour. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. Okay. It's not too bad at all. So, but there's no Uber, so you cannot do anything like that. Um, and then it, when we came back, you go into this bigger, more refurbished section of the international terminal, very light and airy with a big kind of aquarium in the middle of it, um, which they're extending this terminal. So even though it, it, it feels new, they're continuing to work on it. Okay. Um, pro tip. Eat before you come because the food options <laughs> are are limited and not very good. We didn't try the lounge because we didn't have a whole bunch of time. But uh, yeah. yeah, it seems fine. And Vancouver's been the sort of gateway to Western Canada for decades yeah. and decades and decades. So I think I had high expectations and they weren't necessarily necessarily met. Yeah, to be to be fair, what you just said earlier by telling that North American, you know, in my head again, I've never been to Canada, guys. I was like, okay. Canada must have a slightly better infrastructure, including airport infrastructure, than the U.S. So I was expecting something a bit more. I mean, not Hong Kong or yeah, you yeah. know Canada, but a, a bit better. Oh wow! Yeah, it was just wasn't amazing, and I and I think I've given them a massive pass because they're doing this refurbishment. Yeah, the connectivity in terms of getting into the town, it's fine. It doesn't matter if you don't have Uber. There's the SkyTrain, which is which is great takes you through all the neighborhoods if you're not staying in, in downtown vancouver and then the taxis were abundant and well managed and reasonably priced so that that what that wasn't too big a deal but like the united states again even if you're connecting domestically in canada you still have to get off go through immigration collect your bags and recheck so oh, that yeah, takes can, time yeah yeah that's something that's never fun but i mean you have to deal with it yeah unfortunately uh, so would you do a layover there um, yes, because Vancouver itself is so close, so you can just jump in and go and experience that city. I need to do that. There yeah. you go. You just sent me, like, a, my next destination. No, it's not my next destination, guys. I hope. I wish. I hope. Uh, we didn't do a lot of shout-outs. want to do one to close this show. Uh, um, we had a five-star. Again, thank you guys for actually taking the time to do that by 
Morris from down under, from Australia, obviously. Uh, simple and great. So I hope that this episode was simple and great. Uh, he says, very balanced views. I hope we were balanced. Great audio. Well, I hope my cold wasn't getting in the way of that audio. No. Always interesting. Cat put it down. Well, it's always interesting to talk to each other because, Alex, we just did like almost two hours of recording. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so where are you going next? Uh, I'm off to Christiansen, Norway this afternoon. Ah, you mentioned uh, with VR Amsterdam then. Yep, yeah, VR Amsterdam on uh, Adelusi, uh, and then uh, Glasgow and Zurich next week, and then Vegas the week after. Yeah, well, actually, I'm going to Amsterdam tomorrow, but BA myself. Uh, oh, can I, can I, what do they fly from Lucy? 170, E-170. Uh, Embraer, as it was, yeah. yeah. So, okay, well, uh, yeah, so I'm going to Amsterdam tomorrow, also by plane. The reason I do it by plane, not by Eurostar or other means, is because I was able to find that on the way back, I'm supposed to fly what Ed Parsons did. I'm going to have a BA by Privatair, so that, uh, uh, that's yeah, going to be like... Yeah, fascinated to hear how that goes. Yeah, very cool seat, so I'm going to do that to come back, and then also I have a... A lot of small flights, Zurich, like you, but we might not be exactly the same day. We're the same week, maybe not the same day. We'll see if we can make that happen. I'm going back to Madrid again once and Paris again for the upteenth time this month and uh, Athens. And so I don't know when we're going to be able to record. I'm sure we're going to find either just before Alex flies to Vegas or just after. And until then, Alex, happy flying. Safe travels, guys. 